Amen. I'll remain standing and open your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians as we continue our study. We'll be in chapter 4, verses 8 through 13, continuing where we left off last Sunday evening. Let's read this great passage, remembering that this is the inerrant, infallible, and living words of the only and true living God. Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that Now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Our Father, as we near the end of this great book tonight, we are reminded that the fierce battle that we are in is no different than the battle fought by the Apostle Paul himself. As we finish Easter together tonight, we marvel at your plan of redemption, that included both the death and resurrection of your Son. Father, may you indeed be glorified. Lord Jesus, will you be lifted up and exalted. Loving Holy Spirit, do your work enlivening our hearts to do both is our prayer tonight. Bless now the preaching of your word, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. We all have those days, don't we, that we look forward to all of our lives, and then when they happen, we we most likely remember the minutest details throughout that entire day. It was, for me, one of those days was a day, the third Monday in the month of July, 1977. I was 2,600 miles away from my home for the first time. It was the first day of preseason football camp, my first year in college. The camp was amazing to a young freshman in high school, but exhausting. The day started at 8 with breakfast, 9 a.m. sharp was position meetings, noon was lunch, One o'clock, the trainers were open for treatment and taping. Uh, Three o'clock was practice. Six o'clock was dinner. Seven o'clock was a team meeting and event. Lights out by 10 for three weeks in a row. We never made it to 10. We were all exhausted every night and sleeping by probably 9, 9.15. But I stepped into that first position meeting. Uh, and was handed a numbered playbook about this thick with my name on it that I had to sign for. 
sat down in a room, five of us in there. The head coach was in there. And by the way, this head coach, his name was Homer Smith. Uh, he had come from UCLA to our school and went back to UCLA after he was fired after five or six years. He actually was the offensive coordinator for Troy Aikman, and that is as close to fame as I will have in this story. But he turned then in that meeting, and by the way, I had this coach for two years in a D1 program, and not one curse word ever went out of his mouth. As a matter of fact, not even a negative, demeaning word. This man had an MDiv, was a Christian man that I dearly loved, so it can be done. But he came into the room and he turned to our senior All-American and said, Lee, tell the rookies how we play the position. And this, this Lee was Lehman Hall, All-American, wonderful uh, player, And he turned to us and he said, there's only three things you need to know. He said, we reflect and we review and we repeat those every day. We reflect and we review. And by the time we get to the field, we don't review, we don't reflect, we just react because we know what to do. We reflect in that we know every single thing to do in every single play in that book, and not only us, that everybody else on the team. And we review it over and over and over until we know it. And if we're playing and have to think about it, we've already lost. We just simply react. We execute what we already know and have mastered. In our passage before us tonight, the Apostle Paul is giving the same encouragement using a similar playbook. He's just using slightly different words. For reflect, he uses think on these things. Some versions may say dwell, others may say meditate, but it's to think, it's to uh, uh, rehash in your mind, to reflect For review or to master, he simply uses learn. And for react, he says put into practice, or your version might just say just do. Reflect, think, review, learn, react, practice. We'll see this concept in two simple headings in the text tonight. First, we'll see the exhortation in uh, verses 8 through 9. And then second, the example that Paul uses in verses 10 to 13. So let's begin with the exhortation. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers. Obviously, Paul is tying this with what has just come before Uh, in the text that Gary had last night. And it is. It is a kind of a two-pronged exhortation. We heard the first, be anxious for nothing and let your request be made known unto God, etc. And this one begins, finally, brothers. But before we go there, let's address Paul's sexist language here. Paul uses adolfoi, which is the the, uh, plural of Excuse me, of um, 
Adelphos, which is brother. He's saying brothers, plural, Eldelphi. Is there any lady here that would take uh, offense to the use of brethren, brothers, or as the King James Bible says, brethren, to stand for everyone, both men and women? And I don't think there would be a hand anywhere if I asked for a hand. Brethren here addresses everyone, both men and women. But just in case, what's available to you now is the inclusive Bible, the first egalitarian translation, and both the NLT and popular NIV and others, so that you're not offended, have fixed these, quote, sexist idioms. Well, we don't need to go there, and we don't need to also go into the rest of the Scriptures to show how Paul and all of the apostles use the same type of language as all-inclusive. So when he says, finally, brothers, or finally, brethren, there is no mistaking what he is talking about here. So back to the text, reflecting. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We are exhorted here through Paul by the Holy Spirit with six specific and two general ways how we are to fill our minds through patterns that never change, have never changed, and are always counter-cultural. First, whatever is true. Many of us this morning said the traditional, <clears throat> he is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, that comes actually from <clears throat> Christos Anesti, which is Christ arose or is risen. And then the two uh, response, the two-word response back was alethe aneste, which is truly risen. Christ is risen, truly risen. That is the word here. Whatever is true. Whatever is true rationally in creation. It is also to reject irrational thinking and speaking the truth always. The mind seeks whatever is true in every avenue of life. From faith to science, relationships to public life to business, all true things think about. And it goes without saying, isn't it, that we uh, are not told that we can't ever see or hear about anything untrue, but these are the filters that we always have to look and judge things by. So whatsoever is true. Number two, whatever is honorable. This is dignified things. Elsewhere, Paul, speaking of qualifications of elders and deacons, used this word and is translated as reverent. Don't you love the internet? A simple search on wiki will show you 10 steps how to be honorable. First three is all we need to see. One, be the person who you say you are. That's honorable. Two, do what you say you will. Honorable. Three, care genuinely about other people. And it goes on to list 10 things 
to be honorable, dignified. Paul, again, speaking as a qualification for eldership or for a deacon is to be reverent. It's to be honorable. Number three, whatever is just, just, righteous. Very simply, right and good things to think about. Thinking for right living, what is just. Number four, whatever is pure, holy, pure, surely, sexually, but more than that, not tainted with ulterior motives, real, not fake or hypocritical. Think about these things, purity. Number five, whatever is lovely. This word is only used one time in the New Testament, and it's right here. It's an aesthetic. It, one commentator puts it well. It is all that is beautiful in creation and all that is beautiful in human lives, from a sunset to a symphony to caring for the poor and powerless, all things that are beautiful in themselves. Another commentator says that these things, that the lovely things are things that are desired. Number six, whatever is commendable. These are things of good report, your Bible may say. These are thoughts and actions that are worthy of commendation, worthy of praise, worthy if continued, you would receive the Lifetime Achievement Award of good report, of good reputation, commendable. These six qualities from a stunning uh, rhythmic form, a stunning and rhythmic portrait of the mental focus and aspirations that Paul desires us, his readers, to have whatever is true, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, a beautiful portrait of how we must think, which Paul then frames with a comprehensive summary and command. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Nothing of moral excellence and nothing that would earn the praise of God or man must be left out for the Philippians in Paul's case. And the command is ongoing. Think, continual action on these things. Let your mind continually dwell on these things. Ponder them without ceasing. Reflect, think, review, learn, and repeat until you get on the field and react instinctively. As we think about what we are bombarded with today in 2023, particularly our young people, in things like music, media, TV, in this culture that in the last 20 years that has gone to places that we of an older generation never thought could be possible. And it would be so easy for me to start listing things that bother me and tell you not to think about these things. I loved growing up popular music and still 
you know, live in the 70s. And if I, if I we, we play a game sometimes at our house where uh, we'll have people over and say, when did you graduate from high school? And then we'll play all the top music from everyone's year, and I win every time because everybody knows all of the good songs from my era. But, I, I, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tell you all the things that bother me. Instead, as I was preparing, I read a, uh, uh, a commentary by Kent Hughes that he wrote in 2007. And just think of what the difference is today than it was in 2007. And listen to these words from Dr. Hughes. He says, over the years, I have preached and written on this extensively, and most recently in two chapters of my book, Set Apart to Save, and one on viewing sensuality, and the other on violence and voyeurism. He says, suffice it to say that the contemporary media overwhelmingly presents the antithesis of Philippians 4, 8, as we have become increasingly eroticized, violent, and intolerant of Jesus Christ in a society. And given that there are virtually no distinctives between viewing habits of Christians and non-Christians, the minds of countless Christians have become increasingly eroticized and blasphemous, which is to say, sub-Christian. He ends, today, more than ever before, we need to heed the psalmist's advice that I will walk with integrity. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless, Psalm 101, 2, and 3. Perhaps there needs to be a true, violent refusal voiced by Jesus. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Or it's better that you lose one of your members and your whole body be thrown into hell, Matthew 5, 27 through 29. From 2007, brothers and sisters, what are we and our children facing now in 2023? God help us. Verse 9. Now we have laid up uh, a thought I don't know if, if you're like me, but have you ever stayed up wondering at night, what could possibly be the difference between me and the Apostle Paul, or perhaps are tempted with just a, a bit of self-righteousness? My thought is try verse 9 on for size. Here is Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 9, he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is like the Holy Spirit saying, amen. What a man of God we have. And this is not hypothetical at all because he gives us a clear example of this in verses 10 through 13. Let's look there. We've heard Paul, we've heard his exhortation in 8 and 9. Now let's secondly, let's see his example in verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no 
opportunity. What he's speaking about here, brothers and sisters, is money. Remember, Epaphroditus had brought Paul a large gift from Philippi, enough that he mentions that he can live on this for a long period of time. And this letter will be brought back by Epaphroditus to those same saints in Philippi. Uh, He says, but Paul is simply saying, I know you always loved me, but you just didn't have the opportunity to bless me with this money like you have. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly when I received it. But here's where we see Paul's example. Look at verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Here Paul is illustrating exactly what he has just exhorted them. I have been reflecting, thinking, reviewing, learning, and I have learned to be content. How? By how I have just meditated and been immersed in what is true, honorable, pure, etc. I have learned in every situation. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, have nothing. I know how to abound, have much in material things. And then look closely with me at the next verse. In every and any situation or circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Notice we really have the review here, don't we? The learning. But there are two different words here in this passage, 11 and 12, that are translated learned. The first we see in verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. This is the common word for learned used nearly 30 times, most of those by Paul in the New Testament. It just means to, that what you think it is, to learn something, to master something. I have learned, he says, contentment in every situation. But look at verse 12. Again, Paul says, in every and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance. Totally different word for learned here. It's an easy word to learn. It sounds just like a cat. Meow. It's the only time it appears in the New Testament. The translators here have added the words secret because secret correctly is the meaning of the word, that I've learned a secret. The word in Hellenistic culture meant literally the secrets of initiation of rites, a secret club, a secret that nobody would know that had to be learned for a specific time and a specific reason. It's a secret. It's knowledge kept purposely from people. A revealed secret. Paul says to learn how to face plenty and hunger, abundance and need, is indeed secret knowledge. And now we understand verse 13 before we even read it. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, including learning secret knowledge 
that's needed to live a Christian life. Because these things are not common. They are not learned in society. They are not commonly taught. Oh, this could be the most misused scripture in the entire Bible. How many Christians have been duped over the years with this verse? For example, written under Tim Tebow's Eye Black, Philippians 4.13 on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I remember watching this group called The Power Team, which used to go into evangelical churches. I, don't, I, I hope they've been debunked by now. But they used to do things like rip phone, phone books in half and lift all this crazy weight and break off, you know, you know, handcuffs and all that stuff, and, the, and that was their mantra. You know, take the phone book. I can do all things through Christ. Which I can do all things through Christ. Yeah! A power team. Ripping a phone book, a karate chop of a block of wood, breaking records by weightlifting. If I only believe and trust, I too can win the Heisman Trophy. No, you can't. You will not win the Heisman Trophy. You can actually work on things, can't you, and get better. But dunking a basketball is probably not in your future. This is like Jesus saying, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move this mountain. You can say, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you, he says in Matthew 7, verses 20 and 21. And this is Paul's exact point here, isn't it? Not that like Jesus, next time there is a storm, you can go outside and, and say, peace be still, and it will be. And if you do and it doesn't calm, there's something wrong with you because you can do all things through Christ. And Jesus said, you'll do greater things than I did. And the storm is gone. He's not saying that. He is saying, throw renewing your mind and your heart a secret hidden from time past can be yours. The secret of the peace of a contented heart. A heart that is contented and peaceful and calm through any storm life brings you. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, We've seen Paul's exhortation in verse 8 and 9 and his example in verses 10 through 13. As we close, just one final thought for us to close our Easter Sunday. And you most likely already know what this thought is, don't you? Who was Paul talking about? What did he tell us? What is the entire theme of this book of Philippians? The theme of this book, the theme of Paul's life, the theme of your life, the theme that needs to be all of our lives. If you remember from chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, if you don't remember, turn there real quick. It's just a page over. Verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage, dung, nothing, in order that I may win and gain Christ. 
the same exhortation, brothers and sisters, brought to our hearts through the words, not only of the Apostle Paul, but listen to the Apostle John as well. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me in John 14, 6. Whatever is honorable, dignified, lifted up, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John again 3, 14 and 15. Whatever is just, righteous, my little children, I write these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have a counselor with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 1 John 2, 1. Whatever things are pure, and everyone who thus hopes in Christ purifies himself as he is pure. 1 John 3, 3. Whatever is lovely, that's pleasing, attractive, beautiful, tender. Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by him. He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to this disciple, behold your mother, John 19, 26 and 27. He is altogether lovely, Solomon says. Whatever is commendable, well-spoken, of a good report, John reports in John 18, Pilate's words. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no fault in him. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, John writes in Revelation 5 and listened to his words, then I looked up and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. Reflect. Think on these things. Review. Learn. Make these a part of who you are. And react as part of who you are. Put these things in practice without thinking to the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, how we long to be your disciples. We long to have that instinct of Christian character in us where it just happens. We don't have to think about it. Lord, help us to think on these things. And those things are your son. Lord Jesus, what an example Paul gave us, but oh, the example that you are. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for the fact that we are called to be saints. Help us live as those saints. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.